Hello and welcome to the, another episode of Pod Slime and Jamma presented by Clutch City Control Room. My name is Andy Anas, and on this episode, we will talk about the newest recruits made by the University of Houston football team uh, this past weekend, Good Friday weekend. And obviously, of course, we also touch on the men's basketball transfer season. Stay tuned. You're listening to Pod Slime and Jamma. across midfield. Jones just waiting for somebody. Jones inside the 20 to the 10 and for the fifth time in his career will not be stopped. This drives in a pull up three. Oh, drives. Dead high shooter. Blair to Patterson in the corner for three. To midcourt. That's Mark at the buzzer. And Dayon, as you can see there, um, had to do that real quick. But as you, as I introduced myself at the beginning, uh, my name is Andy Yanez. You can follow me on Twitter at Ayanez underscore five. Uh, Dayon, I'll let you introduce yourself. Where can people find you, sir? You can find me on Twitter at Dayon Dunlap, as the show is on the screen as well, as well as Instagram as well. I'm excited about another show. A lot of exciting news, especially football, recruiting, like you mentioned, basketball, transfer portal. It's a lot to talk about. For sure. So let's get right into it. And uh, on Friday, Friday, Good Friday was a very good Friday indeed for the University of Houston football program when they landed a couple of transfer recruits. Obviously, the the main headline was uh, the former Arkansas Razorbacks quarterback, Lucas Coley, who committed to the University of Houston. He was a four-star, depending on where you saw it, depending on the different recruiting sites. He was a four-star prospect um, by ESPN entering um, out of high school, he was a three-star prospect for 247 Sports and Rivals back in class of 2021. And like you mentioned, he did commit to Houston on April 15th. And he has all years of eligibility left um, entering Houston. He didn't use up any as a member of Arkansas. So obviously a San Antonio native, a dual-threat quarterback. And really uh, what Houston hopes is going to be the heir apparent to uh, Clayton Toon once he does indeed um, finish his time here with the Cougars. He's tuned set to be the starter for the upcoming 2022 season, but Houston's already looking at the future and, and uh, Cooley can end up being the quarterback of the future as Houston heads into the big 12. So let's start there. Dayon, what are your thoughts on that commitment? And uh, just from uh, not just the rankings, but just the, the skill set that he brings to the table. And, and he's going to have that year to, to kind of sit back and absorb Dana Holgerson's offense before he ever, um, in a perfect world before he ever steps on the field for the Cougars. Yeah, I mean, starting with that skill set, um, I haven't seen much of him live, but I have a few people who from that San Antonio area ask him about him, and they said he's a high school legend. And so just looking at some of the measurables and the insight people say him projection as far as into college, I mean, like you said, dual threat, and that fits well in Hogerson's system. I mean, um, Clayton Toon is considered a dual threat, which he can run, and so – I think it's a big get. I mean, he, he fits a need. He definitely needed a young quarterback, someone to groom behind Clayton Turner to kind of be their heir apparent, like you mentioned. And so I'm excited to, to see what he can bring, uh, potentially maybe in some spot spot um, 
minutes or never know what can happen throughout the season if he gets in. But I think I'm just very excited coming over from an SEC transfer from Arkansas who had a really good year last year, had a, had a good quarterback. And so, I mean, I'm sure he learned during his time in the SEC, seeing those SEC defenses on the sideline and even at practice. I saw some of his practice highlights that he posted on his Twitter page. So I'm very, very excited. Definitely fits a need for the football program. And, I mean, it, it seems like they're rolling right now. Like they have a lot of momentum and definitely getting it in with the recruiting. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that that he's a bit of a high school legend in the San Antonio area. Just going back to his senior season in high school, he threw for over 1,100 yards. He had 13 passing touchdowns, and he rushed for an additional 500 yards and had 11 touchdowns on the ground. So uh, really, uh, when you look at that balance, he does a little bit of everything for Houston. And obviously, of course, they're going to be looking, like we mentioned, for that quarterback to lead them going to the Big 12. And that skill set, that, that right there, that's exactly what Houston wants. Um, heading into their first year in the Big 12. Uh, they're aiming for that to be the 2023 season. Now, albeit there's still a lot, uh, a lot of work to be done before Houston can officially um, join the Big 12 in the 2023 season, but that's the admin- administration's target. That's the goal, and that's certainly a big help. That's going to be in a big uplift for Houston now that they, at least for the moment, it feels like they have the guy that'll, that'll lead them already in-house. And like we mentioned earlier, he's going to have that chance uh, to grow for the program. Uh, when you look at it and when you look at his skill set um, and the potential that he has here to grow, um, looking at his high school stats, and like you mentioned, you've had a couple of, of people talk to you highly about what he was able to accomplish in high school. I do When I see that, it kind of envisions me to be uh, kind of a, li- uh, a little bit more of, the, of Greg Ward, uh, Derek King, more so than Clayton Toon. Uh, especially Clayton Toon last season where he became much more of a pocket passer. Um, a lot of it had to do with he had no choice after suffering a hamstring injury. But uh, from the people you've spoken to, what what kind of is his play style a little bit more? Or can you elaborate on that? I mean, I think from what I'm hearing, I'm hearing that he's a true dual threat. I'm hearing he has a really strong arm, just like any quarterback can work more on his accuracy. But they're saying he is an accurate passer. But I'm hearing he's a, a real dual threat not more as of a elusive runner like the likes of you mentioned as far as De'Aaron King and Greg Ward, as far as how they had that explosiveness to, to get those long runs. I'm hearing he's more of a power runner, but I'm hearing he's a, a true dual threat with a lot of swag. They say he has a lot of swag and he'll be able to really relate and kind of lead that locker room. I'm hearing he's a really good leader. And so I, I'm very excited. I mean, as far as, what his skill set looks like on paper and just going forward, feel like you you have that big time recruit who's in and look like they will kind of be the future of the football program. Cause you know what the quarterback brings. So I'm excited to, to see him just grow and, and watch what he's able to do. Cause you look at the other recruits have, he got two young stud running backs. One, you know, one course in Alton, then you have the transfer coming mm-hmm. over from USC. You still have Tejan Henry, who, who has quite a bit of eligibility left, along with the receivers and recruiting. And we haven't even mentioned the offensive linemen who they just got in. So yeah. you just look at the building blocks in which I, I don't think – I mean, well, Coach Dana Hogerson is doing an outstanding job 
of kind of adapting his system to his team, not really just being so pass happy. And with the running backs that he has, I expect him to lean even more on them in the future and not just rely on, on Lucas so much. I think he's, of course, he's a quarterback and Daniel loves to throw the football, but I, I'm just very excited with the pieces that they're going. I think they're going to be a well-balanced team, especially going into the Big 12. Yeah, for sure. Perfect segue because you mentioned that Houston also landed offensive lineman Tyler Johnson, who's going to have a bit of a homecoming. I uh, went to high school uh, in Conroe. He was part of the 2019 class, a four-star recruit, uh, according to 24-7 Sports. And he's tr a transfer out of Texas. And according to the athletic Sam Kahn, who obviously, of course, of uh, UH alumni, but he, he said that he expects for uh, Johnson to be competing for a starting job right off the gates this coming season uh, in 2022 at right tackle. And like you mentioned, Houston's just solidifying. They're getting their piece together across the, the offense, which uh, especially the past couple of seasons since uh, De'Ara King left and Houston's kind of been in that transition phase, uh, especially last season with Houston's ca calling card was that defense. The offense is kind of trying to, to catch up to where the defense has been able to, to establish itself under. And now you're starting to see those pieces come together. I remember two weeks ago, uh, head coach Dana Holgerson said that they, they feel real confident in Jack Freeman, who uh, obviously last season lost his starting spot at center um, with Cody Russi, who transferred over uh, and really did a good job leading Houston in that department. But, uh, with with this new piece and Johnson coming in to solidify that offensive line, um, you see Houston. Uh, you you're seeing you're seeing them begin to. There's a puzzle piece here. There's a puzzle piece there, and they're building. And like I said, with the Big Twelve on the horizon, that's huge for this program. Like you mentioned, they're they're kind of building an all around roster because obviously, of course, uh, going back to when they landed Brandon Campbell out of the USC transfer, the running back. Uh, they're really doing – I feel like they're doing a good job of filling all the pieces around them and at the same time building for this upcoming season but also building for the future. Yeah, you just hit it right on the head, building for the future because a lot of these players, they're getting – they're young, still having four years of eligibility, three or four years of eligibility. And that gives them time to grow within the system and to be developed at Houston. You look at the way they've been able to develop. I mean, look at the way Clayton Toon has developed. Look at the way how Alton um, McCaskill had his his really good freshman year. And so promising from him, you look at Tank Dale, his development from year one to year two, the year he had. And then you look at um, Paul, the, the left tackle. And we're, um, I'm hearing that you expected Johnson to be able to kind of compete for the spark at that right tackle spot. And so you're building mm -hmm. with youth instead of a lot with grad transfer who have these one years and then you have to replace them. So I'm loving the philosophy, building with youth and being able to develop them within the system and let them grow and really just build that chemistry. Because when you have that chemistry along with the experience, I mean, I think it is the, has the making for a really good team. For sure. And on that note, we'll take our first uh, segue of the show coming right up. We'll transition over from the gridiron over to the hardwood with uh, its transfer portal season in the uh, college basketball landscape. We'll talk about a bit of a wish list for the men's basketball team and who they should add through the transfer portal coming right up on Podslam Ajama covering your UH Athletics. Continuing on here on Pod Slam Pajama, like Andy just mentioned, it's time to go to the hardwood and talk hoops. And I mean, what other bigger recruiting now than comes from the transfer portal? And Houston hit the home run last year in the transfer portal 
with Josh Carlton, Taze Moore, and Kyla Edwards. Now they're back in the portal again, looking to fill some needs. Andy, what, what what's some of the, the big needs that, that, I mean, we've hearing different recruits, different positions that they are trying to fill, but what position a need or, or what player do you feel like would be probably the most important or a really big get if they could get them um, to commit to U of H? Yeah, I think that I think the the position of need uh, certainly depending uh, the big what if is what what Marcus Sasser ends up doing. Does he come back, or does he keep his name in the NBA draft pool and, and try to pursue that that um, pro dream? But I think as of now, um, let's assume that Sasser comes back. I think that position of need has to be the front court. Uh, you look at who's going out, like you mentioned, Josh Carlton did a phenomenal job, not only coming in over from UConn, but really kind of. Uh, it seemed like he had been with the program for years to being able to embrace the culture, step right in and be an immediate impact player uh, for Houston. Not only are they going to be losing Carlton, but they're losing Fabian White Jr. Who's been an anchor for this program for several years, for over five seasons he was here. And really he was kind of the the key piece, for certainly the past couple of seasons when uh, you thought of Houston's front court. And now those two players are going to be gone. And I think that's really where the position is going to be uh, where Houston's going to need the most need, uh, especially in the transfer port, I think that's where they could get uh, a lot more uh, beef up front, uh, whether it be in size. And they just need someone that can be able to be physical, be a, a presence down low in the paint. And obviously, of course, when it comes to Houston, get a lot of rebounds, uh, even though Kelvin Sampson and, and that coaching staff puts an emphasis on a lot of rebounding from the guard position. They still need a lot of bigs that can be physical up front and obviously, of course, themselves uh, crash the board down. What say you? What do you think is the position of need for this Houston team? I'm going to agree with you. I think it's a front court player, but more importantly, it's a player in the front court that can score. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think they have players on the roster right now who are cultural players who can block shots, who is going to rebound and do all those tough things with the likes of Jay Ron Roberts, Javier Francis, um, Reggie Chaney still. You still yeah. got um, Kyron Powell, who red shirted last year. So I think all of those players are can fulfill the, the, the culture plays as far as rebounding and blocking shots and doing all those things. But one thing I think they're missing in that front court, who is someone who can – you can throw the ball to on the block and get you a bucket when the game slows down. Because if you look at Houston last year, they really didn't allow many runs because often they would throw the ball down low, whether it be Fabian or Josh, and they'll be able to get you a bucket on the paint, in the paint, I should say. And so I think that's one of the needs. I mean, also, I mean, it's kind of as far as like you said with Marcus, if he stays in the draft, you're definitely going to have to replace him. But you look at what they have coming in with Jarris Walker, he's more of that kind of a stretch for who yeah. I think he can't score on the paint, but he still has an adjustment to the college level. And so who knows what that adjustment is going to be like. And so I kind of, kind of wash away everything that you see on the high school level, but he has a ton of talent. So I, I think he's still going to be a big asset, but he, he's unproven at the college level. When you look at the likes of Traymond Mark, Terrence Arsenault, but more importantly, Traymond Mark, I, I think he can fulfill that scoring role. If Marcus, does decide to leave and also he's an additional playmaker to not allow Jamal Shedd to have to do the bulk of the playmaking and so I mean you can't go wrong but if I had to pick um, a position I would definitely go front court scoring uh, I think that's a definite position to lead and it, it's a good candidates from the candidates that we've seen and that we've talked mm-hmm. about 
kind of what's your wish list? What what what's the player that you want? I feel like you feel like that they should get and you hope they get. Yeah, I think uh, certainly, and and as we're recording this, nothing has has broken or anything has been mentioned, but there certainly seems to be a lot of buzz when it comes to a front court player, uh, not that far from Houston, going down uh, I ten heading towards Louisiana Tech, and obviously, of course, uh, with their big man and and Kenny Lofton, and and really the season that he was able to put together uh, this past year in twenty twenty one twenty two, what he was able to do for Louisiana Tech, and that was really. I mean, he, he was a physical player. He averaged a double-double, almost 16 and, and 10 uh, uh, for the season, which is pretty impressive. And when you look at his numbers, uh, he did a really good job being able to crash a board offensively. He averaged almost three offensive rebounds a game. And when you look at the type of player he is for for, uh, for that he was to Bulldogs, he really mirrors a lot of what Kelvin Sampson, the coaching staff, uh, likes in a player in terms of, uh, identity culture players. Um, he was unranked coming in out of high school, um, at least when it comes to, to you know the the usual recruiting sites. When it comes to twenty four seven rivals, and really in his two seasons at Louisiana Tech, he grew himself into uh, not only a, a key piece for them, but he kept improving year in and year out. And that's something that when you think about uh, just his identity and the culture, that's, that's a player that Houston would love. And uh, for the most part, honestly, there's been a lot of buzz in terms of him and Houston now. Like I said, while we're recording this, there's nothing official that is broken. But I think he is a player to watch that, that Houston not only would would fit in the need that they need in the front court, but just the type of player he is. What's a Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Once again, I think that's the player who I really, really hope that they get because not only is he kind of that underdog and is going to embrace the culture because he was what I feel like is under-recruited, didn't really get a lot of hype. And those type of players, I feel like, really thrive in the system, the likes of um, the different players that, that they've had. And so I, I think he will fit a huge need. But also, I, I really hope, I'm kind of wishful that they get Kendrick Davis, but when people yeah. was coming asking me my thoughts about it, I initially didn't think it was a good fit because they had Jamal Shedd. And they're two small point guards in a sense of their height. They both play bigger than their size. But I think if you get Kendrick Davis, do you play two six-foot guards side by side? Did Jamal Shedd go, come off the bench? Or that was just something that I had a thought of. But I, we both know how much I love him and how much we talked about him throughout the season. So yeah. I think that would be get of If I had to pick one, I would definitely go with Lawson out of Louisiana Tech. I think he he would really, really fit a good role and would give them low post scoring, has skill, can also shoot the ball as well from the mid-range. I think he would definitely um, fit really well in the Houston culture. And let's stay on uh, Davis, obviously, of course. Um we're recording this on, on April 19th. And when we were doing that, uh, perfect uh, timing because Kendrick Davis announced his seven finalists. Uh, I believe it was on Monday night. And when when you look at the seven finalists, Houston is among them. Obviously, for him, that would be a homecoming if he's able to come to Houston. And it's certainly, when you look at it just at face value, it's it's an interesting fit. Like you mentioned, they already have Jamal Shedd and Jamal Shedd was really able to grow into that starting point guard role. And uh, I think we both agree with this where Jamal Shedd has a lot more to, to improve on and, and just build on the successful season that he had, really leading Houston to the Elite Eight uh, this past year. So it, it, it would be interesting. I, I'd certainly be surprised if Davis were to, to commit to Houston. Uh, he does have him in his final seven. And, and 
I mean, the power to come home, it, you can't underestimate that factor. But when you look at some of the other finalists with, that he chose, TCU, Texas, Kansas, Texas Tech, uh, Memphis, and Gonzaga, he says his decision date will be uh, this coming Friday. So it'll be April 22 uh, when he will announce it. And he said 8 o'clock. Uh, I'd imagine that'd be Central Time. So that, that's only going to be something to watch. Uh, I'm with you, Dan. I definitely. I think a, a six foot backcourt and even, you know, the, the official SMU website has them listed at 5'11". I think that's certainly, it would, it would, it's not necessarily the best in the world. And I think in a perfect world, Houston would probably need better size at, at whether it be at that two guard position, um, especially with Kendrick Davis. He's much more of a scorer than Jamal Shedd, who's a much more of a facilitator and, and can uh, dish out to his teammates. Now Kendrick Davis can do that too. So I think in terms of, playing fit they'd be able to figure it out I think that size element is certainly a, a, the more underrated aspect that, that I just don't see it happening but uh, say it were to happen I, do you feel confident that not only Houston of course the coaching staff would figure it out but uh, Davis and, and Jamal Shedd would be able to play together I mean I have a 100% confidence in Coach Sampson and, and mm. well, if, if he sees the fit then I believe the fit and so I, if, yeah. if he's able to come in, I have no doubt that Coach Samson would make it work. Just hindsight, thinking about it, I didn't think that, in my opinion, that it would be a good fit. But if he was to come in here, I have no doubt that it would be able to make work because you have two bona fide playmakers. And, I mean, Kendrick Davis is just as good as a playmaker to know shed. They both average yeah. over seven assists. I think the difference between Kendrick Davis now is his jump shot is – a. Is already a little bit well. It's better than Jamal Shedd at, at his point in his yeah. career. But you you look at two playmakers on the floor, really three, adding in Tremont Mark. I think it'd be a great fit, and Tremont Mark will give you that size on the wing. But just just defending different guards. I mean, six four. It's just a different. The, the size factor would be a difference. But I think from the way that they play, they would play more in transition because whoever gets the ball can be able to start the break. And it would just it would just really ignite their offense. I think their offense would be really, really potent, especially um if Kendrick Davis was to able to commit because he's a player who can create for his side his shot himself off the dribble and get his shot. And really that's what they missed last season. I I mean it was a lot of Jamal Shed creating and kicking it to people like Kyler Everett and, and things like that would have you. Tajay Moore was able to create for himself. But I, I think they definitely can't make it fit. And it, it'll just be something that I didn't think would happen initially. But you look at mm-hmm. the college basketball and especially in the tournament, it, it's a guard driven um, tournament. You look at the likes of North Carolina, there are two guards with um, Davis and Love help get them to where they are. You look at Remy Martin on the national title team, along with Abaji and Bond, it's a guard driven game in the national, in the NCAA tournament. So you have two bona fide point guards who I both think will play at the professional level. It it definitely can work. I'm a huge Kendrick Davis fan. I just think defensively, I mean, Jamal shares a dog defensively. He's a lockdown defender. Uh, I just think with their size, probably could be an issue. But offensively, uh, I have no doubt in my mind that it will work. 
And obviously, of course, Houston, very familiar with Kendrick Davis uh, in his time at SMU. And and I will note every time that Houston and SMU played, Kelvin Sampson was always high on Kendrick Davis and the skill set that he brought to the table. Now, uh, a name certainly early that received a lot of buzz uh, from Houston fans was Fardaz Amak, who it seems like he has uh, narrowed down his top final five. Um, and Houston's not on that list, so it, it doesn't look like he's going to choose Houston. Another player that um, has garnered a lot of buzz, and that's Johnny Broom, the forward out of the 6'10 forward. And this is really where it's key for Houston, that size out of Moorhead State. Now, he has named his finalists, and Houston is among them. It certainly seems like Auburn is favored, according to the initial reports. Uh, he averaged 16 and 10, similar to, to Kenny Lofton. Um, really in, in the Ohio Valley Conference. He won the Defensive Player of the Year for the OBC. And in a perfect world, if he were to choose Houston, I, I will say it by – I will preface this by saying that it, it seems like Auburn is favored in that. But it just – the archetype for him, 6'10 forward, he rebounds. He'd be a presence down low, especially with them losing Josh Carlton in size. Uh, I think a player like that would really be able to fit Houston now you mentioned Powell, I'd be interested to see how he fits with Houston because he hasn't really been able to get a lot of playing time in the first, in the two seasons that he's been here at Houston before. And could he potentially, do you see Powell kind of being able to fill that role of uh, a, a lengthy big that can be a presence down low, uh, similar to Jaywan Roberts? I think he can. I mean, I haven't seen in a lot his skill set to be able to really give him mm-hmm a true honest assessment, but th- with his length, I, I think definitely think he could feel the do their rebounding and shot blocking him along with Javier Francis, both of their length and the way that they can contest shots, block shots and rebound. I think they both can do that at a high level. Now what they have as far as offensively, I've yet to really see. And so I can't really give an honest assessment on, on what I think they can do, but I definitely, without a doubt from seeing them just with their length and, I think they can rebound. And so, I mean, and both of them are young. We, we talked about football with the way they're, they're building a program with young who will be able to develop in the system. Reggie Chaney is in his last year. So you look at going forward, you got Francis and Powell who both have three to four years of eligibility left. They both can continue to develop. We know what the coaching staff has been able to do with developing post players. And so, I mean, the sky is the limit. But if, if you're looking for immediate someone who's already proven on the collegiate level, both of the guys that we're talking about, Lofton as well as Broom, I think that they've already proven. That's what um, coaches, from what I'm hearing, are looking for in the transfer portal. You, you're being able to get players who come in, know what it takes to to contribute at the college level, and it's already proven. They were to young players and freshmen. They're still developing, still adjusting to the physicality of the game, the speed of the game, and learning different ways that they can be effective on the court. And so, I think they both have a promising future. But I think any one of those post players. But just someone who to be able to throw the ball in on the post and, and score when the game slows down because we know basketball is a make or miss game. And from the perimeter, your jump shots isn't always going to fall. You're going to need someone who can pound inside and get you a close range bucket. And on that note, we'll segue to a bit of a similar uh, topic, and that's in terms of we mentioned a Marcus Sasser, and he has uh, put his name into the NBA draft consideration. He's still keeping his college eligibility, so we'll talk more about Sasser. Should he stay or should he go? Coming right up on Pod Slamajama covering your UH athletics. Yeah. 
right now, Pod Slamma Jamba, talking Marcus Sasser. Should he stay or should he go? My heart and my mind says he should stay. I think he he in his quote he already said, see if he is in a top thirty guaranteed draft pick, he's going to come back. Do I think he's a top thirty basketball player from what I've seen throughout college basketball? Yes, I do. Do I think he deserves to be a first round draft pick? Do I think he has that talent? Yes, I do. But do I think he can even rise his draft stock even more coming back, especially with the talent that they're going to have at disposal and with a big stage of making a long, turn, a long tournament run can even help boost his draft stock. And which just come back, if he comes back, he's going to be the best player on the team. He's going to he's average around 18 to even to maybe even 20 points. I think his three-point percentage is only, only going to go up even more. And so I think mm-hmm. to help – boost his draft stock even more, he should come back. Because when I, I look in recent years, I think Armani Brooks and I think Nate Hinton both left a year too early. And I think he learned from that. I'm sure he talked to both of them. And he said he doesn't want to go to G League route. I'm, I'm sure he will if he has to, but he, he wants to get that first-round draft pick. And I think both of those guys, if they would have came back in that extra year, I think they would have, without a doubt, even helped their draft stock even more and both of those went undrafted. They're both in the pros right now, which Armani's in Toronto and Nate is in Indiana. So it worked out for them. But I think Marcus, like he said in his words, he's coming back if he isn't guaranteed a first-round draft pick. And so I think he should come back. What do you think? No, I absolutely agree, especially coming off the season that he had. Uh, you look at – you mentioned Hinton. You mentioned Brooks. Uh, the one player that has been drafted in, in recent history that, that was a first-round pick was Quentin Grimes. And you look at the the journey he had to go through. I mean, he spent three years in college. Obviously, of course, the first being in Kansas, the next two in Houston. I mean, he could have declared for the draft after his sophomore year, his first year here in Houston, which, I mean, by all means, it wasn't a bad year, but it certainly wasn't, um, you know, a, a perfect season in terms of what you'd expect from uh, not just an NBA draft pick, but a, a first-round pick. And you really saw that jump from – year one in Houston to year two where, and Kelvin Sampson's talked about it. I believe he said it uh, after the Knicks um, ended up taking him last season, but he said uh, that throughout the entire first, uh, his sophomore season, first year in Houston, Quentin Grimes was kind of trying to find himself and adjust to the Houston program. The second year in Houston, he knew what role he needed to, to fill for the Cougars. And he was a lot more sure of himself and he was able to put together a really, really strong season. He was not only the lead Houston in scoring, but I mean, when, once it came to March in, in both the conference tournament and the NCAA tournament, he had a lot of big shots for the Cougars that really c- continued to, to build his resume. And uh, the thing that, that was really uh, worked in the favor of Grimes was what he showed on the defensive side of the ball. That's one of the stuff that, Samson said that Tom Thibodeau, the, the head coach for the Knicks, was uh, super high on for when it comes to Grimes and, and why he was taking the first round um, by New York. And and you look at the season that Sasser was having now, um, certainly on offense, I think he was on pace to, to have just as good of a season that Grimes did his junior year, if not uh, better. Uh, obviously, of course, a, a much shorter body of work. Uh, but when you see it get cut short, um, I still, you can't, just in terms of what he's done, uh, his first two full seasons at Houston and, and the, the, it wasn't even a half of the year that he had this past season for the Cougars. I don't think it's as big as a resume, as thorough as a resume that Quentin Grimes had. And he went 25th 
So in terms of, I agree with you that Sasser has the skill set to grow and become that first round pick. But I think as of now, I, especially when you look at these, I, I look at a lot of the mock drafts coming into uh, our show and Marcus Sasser is not a first round pick and, and none of them now be at their mock drafts. You take that with a grain of salt, but I, especially what I'm seeing, I mean, he just signed the NIL deal with the pizza place uh, on Monday night. Uh, I would tend that I agree with you that Marcus Sasser should be back, uh, not only to, to I mean, Houston's going to have a chance to compete for a national championship. When you look at a lot of these way too early predictions for next season, a lot of them have Houston. Um, all of them have them in the top 10, and, and a good majority of them have them in the top five. That's the expectations. And if Sasser comes back, they're certainly going to be among the favorites. And I think if he if Houston's in the national spotlight, once again, once it comes to March, he's going to get a chance to, like you said, continue to build that resume and and come this time next year, if he does come back, I think he would have a chance to, to make it a no-brainer that he's one of the top 30 picks. And I think right now that's very much in doubt. Yep, and uh, I didn't even think about it until you mentioned was Quentin Grimes. And you, what helped boost his draft stock even more, back to my point, was the run that he had in the NCAA tournament and, and those big shots, those rebounds, hitting those clutch free throw, well, missing the free throw when they hit that big three, but yeah. still making those clutch plays and having the spotlight the entire world on you and just the pressure from a one-game elimination I think that would only help um, Marcus Case even more. But just looking at throughout his first three years here, he he's showed consistency in his ability to shoot the basketball and the ability to create for himself. I think his three-point percentage has went up each year. I think, and that's another thing that can continue to go up. I think he can shoot over forty percent from three. He's a great free throw shooter. I think one another thing that will can help his boost is just continue to create or showing that he can create for others, whether it be in transition, whether it be in half court, he did it in spurts um, at times last year, but I definitely think one more year would solidify him as a first round draft pick with all the, the different things that we mentioned going in the long run, leading them. And I mean, Houston is going to be in the conversation for, excuse me, for a national title. It's just a, a as far as the matchups and all of that who play into it. But I definitely think he should come back for sure. And a, a question for you, Dayan, if you're Houston, how long do you wait for him to make that decision? Obviously, of course, he has until June 1st to keep his name in before um, he has to, to either come back to college or, or stay in the draft uh, process. I don't think Houston can afford to wait to June 1 when you look at all the transfers that are in the portal if they – um, say they wait until June and Sasser decides to stay, they have to figure out a way to, to replace this production, which it is significant. How patient are you and, and during the whole process of Sasser determining whether he should should come back? I think they're very patient, but at the same time, I think they still have a need to feel. And we mentioned Kendrick Davis. Just say Kendrick Davis commits to Houston and Marcus Sasser comes back. Uh, I'm just pre that's the thing I don't know. Does Jamal Shedd move to coming off the bench? Or do you start Kendrick Davis, Jamal Shedd, and Marcus Sasser? And Tremont Mark comes off the bench, or do you start um Kendrick, Marcus, and Tremont? 
whatever the case may be, I, I think it can fit. And so I, with that being said, I think you be patient, but at the same time, you look at this team and you feel the need. Whether he comes back or not, you're still going to need another guard to have some of that production. And which I mentioned, Tremont, I think he's going to have a breakout year, which we all expect him to have last year, but he dealt with the injury. And so you still have – Good depth along with the freshman class coming in. Still got Ramon Walker, who is his second year, is still going to take a next step. I think he will have even a bigger year offensively. I think he's going to be even more healthy. And so I think you be patient, but at the same time, you still look to fill a need because, like in years past, like we mentioned, players have decided to leave early. And so you be patient, but at the same time, you still be aggressive and trying to fill different needs. So I, I definitely don't think they're going to just wait around and see what he does, but they're going to welcome him back with open arms. He's still going to have his spot if he decides to come back, regardless of who commits and who doesn't. Yeah, Houston uh, will be have four spots to open uh, with, when it comes to uh, – so you have – Obviously, of course, Tajay Moore leaving. You have Fabian White leaving. You have Josh Carlton leaving. You have Kyler Edwards leaving. Uh, incoming, like you've mentioned, you have Jarris Walker and Terrence Arsenal. That's another name we haven't even mentioned. He's going to be uh, a big-time um, piece for Houston and, and just in terms of his length and, and what he brings to the table. That's going to be another key piece. So Houston's in a good position. Uh, obviously, of course, Emmanuel Sharp as well, but he's, he's already had the luxury of being with the program for – uh, the last couple of months since he joined them in, in the winter um, for for that stretch. So Houston's in a position where they're, honestly, they're in a, a position of a lot of riches, and that's certainly that a lot of schools wish they have in terms of talent all across the board. We've already seen that, that Robbie Armbrester had to uh, transfer out. He decided to to go to Stephen F. Austin. And, I mean, if you have faster returning back, depending on the, na- the names that, that choose to come to Houston – you might end up seeing more players have to transfer out of the program. And that's just a, a sign of where Houston is at each position. Um, I'll let you say the final words, anything else you'd like to um, add in terms of whether it be Marcus Sasser or Houston in the transfer portal uh, before we wrap things up. No, just uh, as far as Houston transfer portal, I think it's a few names that isn't, has it been publicized? Because I think no one saw Tajay Moore coming in. We didn't hear yeah. anything about him. So I, I think there are different names that aren't being publicized. Who, who, or maybe it has. It just hasn't been, like, on the front page. We haven't really heard about it. I think so. I think it's someone who is Houston is targeting is going to look to fill that void as far as whatever the case may be. And you mentioned the likes of Emmanuel Sharp, who I almost forgot about. But – you know, Coach Sampson recruited him for a reason. So he's going to have some skill set to for Houston that they're going to look to use. And so the, they're, guard, they're loaded at the guard play. I think they're good at front court. I think they need low post scoring. And so I'm, I'm hoping that they can get a low post score to help fill in with all their terrific guards that they have at their disposal. Absolutely. And before we uh, before we go, we'd like to say congratulations to Erica Sidney, who obviously, of course, has played for UH women's basketball team the past two seasons. She announced on Monday that she officially signed her first pro contract. She'll play for the Sunshine Coast Phoenix all the way in Queensland, Australia. Uh, she'll be leaving the United States later this month. Dayon, uh, anything you'd like to add? Obviously, of course, you, you called the game for the women's team home game for the women's teams. How do you see Erica Sydney in this next chapter in her life? 
first and foremost, like you said, I'd like to congratulate Erica Sidney and congratulate the women's program because it's their first player that they've had who, who's playing professionally. And I think it's only going to keep the ball rolling. I don't think it's going to stop there. I think they have a ton of talent and I'm expecting players to follow suit with her, whether they be overseas or in the WNBA. And to Erica, I think she's really going to have a, a tremendous pro career. I mean, she's a, a true point guard. She can play make. She's a really, really great three point shooter. And so within the professional, the floor is going to be spread She's going to have more room to show what she can do offensively. She can finish inside, got floaters, mid-range. So I think she's going to really, really excel at the pro level. She's a, a dynamic point guard. And more importantly, from what I'm hearing, she's a great, great teammate. All I've heard all year on whether she played a lot or when her minutes got increased on how she was energetic. She always brought energy to practice. Do you see her on the games, on the sideline, when she wasn't in the game, hyping up her teammates? So definitely congratulations to Erica. I think she's going to have an outstanding pro career. And that's going to do it for today's episode. So if you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening or viewing now, whether that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or if you're watching on YouTube, we appreciate the support. And as always, be sure to subscribe because that's, uh, the simplest way to support us. Uh, Dayon, I'll let you give the final say. Uh, thank you for joining us. Man, it's a great time to be a cook. All the momentum, commit to Houston, come to Houston, see all the different hashtags, basketball, men's and women's. The football is on the horizon. Baseball is doing good right now. Track, we know they've been a dominant program throughout the, the long for the longest time. You got two Hall of Fame coaches there. So it's a great time to be a Houston Cougar. Thank you all for tuning in for another episode. It's a pleasure as always, Andy. Go Cougs.